to where he told me that I was to do what I'm doing today. I want to tell you a little bit about that. I was lying in my bed in the month of December in 1985. I looked at my clock when God awakened me, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I heard his voice for the next three hours plus. I will tell you that you cannot hear the voice of God for three hours without it changing your life. Do you believe that? I promise you, you cannot. He commissioned me with a particular message, and it was the message of the kingdom of God. He said, I want to talk to you about the kingdom. And the first thing he did when he began to talk to me was to transport me in the spirit from my bedroom in Fort Worth to the Middle East. I had been there before, so I immediately recognized the place that he took me. The circumstances were different, however, from when I had been there, and I soon recognized what the difference was. Because he had not just taken me to the Middle East, but he had taken me backward in time. And I had the unusual privilege of witnessing the beginning of the ministry of the man that we know as John the Baptist. Now, I'm a student of the Word, so I knew about John's ministry. I knew what his message was. Do you remember it? It's in Matthew chapter 3, verse number 2. Here's what he preached. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I knew the message. What I didn't understand until that moment was his targeted audience. Because, you see, I thought that the message of repentance was a message given to bad people. John would come out from behind the rocks, stop the pilgrims on their way to and from Jerusalem, where they had gone or were going to worship, put his finger in their faces and say, Repent! You could see the shock on their faces. They would say, What do you mean? Don't you know who I am? I'm one of the good people. If you want to find someone who needs to repent, go around the corner and stop one of those prostitutes and preach to her. She needs to repent. Or go a little further and preach to the robbers that are trying to take what's our, what our goods are while we're on our way to be God's people. He'd say, no, you don't understand. I didn't tell you to repent because you're worse than other people. I told you to repent because you're being called on to do something that no ordinary humans in the history of the world have ever been called to do. I'm calling you to preach and to bring into focus my kingdom. And here's what he said, the kingdom is at hand. Now they didn't have a clue what he meant. Just like most people in the world today don't have a clue. What it means. Did you know that in the Gospels, if you're reading the King James Version, the kingdom is mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John 128 times. Did you know that? The church is only mentioned three places. Now if you hear me talk about one thing 128 times, and you hear me talk about something else three times, what will you conclude is most important to me? And yet we know a lot about the church and almost nothing about the kingdom. Is that true? I'm a country preacher's kid and I remember when I was a little kid, a Jehovah's Witness came to talk to my daddy. 
And they started talking about the kingdom of God. And within a few minutes, I concluded one thing, and that was that neither one of them knew what they were talking about. The problem with the kingdom message is that we have always thought it had something to do with the future, the millennium, something when God would do something in the future, right? And yet, in the Gospels, every time the kingdom is mentioned, it's talking about something totally different than I understood it to be. Had no idea what it was about. Now, when God talks about His kingdom, it is done with the assumption that you already know something. You, un- you know, we can't hear anything without it coming through the foundation of what we already know. Is that not right? Everything that I'm saying to you, you're putting through these filters. The first filter is the filter of your tradition. You can't hear anything I say without that filter. Your tradition is the sum total of life experience up until this moment. So you're weighing everything I'm saying now by what you already know. Is that true? Now I have a question. Is there any possibility that something that you already know might lead you a little bit astray? Is there that possibility? Okay, that's your first filter. The second filter is the filter of your intellect. That means what your brain does with what you already know. Now, I have another question for you. Is there any possibility that what you already know might be just a little skewed, so it might not teach you total truth? Is there a possibility? So God takes pure truth, pours it into us, it comes through our filters, and what comes out is tainted. Now, here's what he assumes that you know. Here it is. This earth, as we know it, is not under our God's control. Now, you know theology tells us that God's totally in control of everything, but let's see whether that's true or not. In first, excuse me, in John chapter 14 and verse number 30, your Bible says, the prince of this world is coming to me, but he has no hold on me or he has nothing in me. Do you remember reading that? What did Jesus call... Satan. What did he call him? The prince of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4, Paul said, The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Is that what it says? So what does he call Satan? The God of this world or of this age. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19, John says it like this. We know that we're the sons of God. Now I want you to look at me. Jerry King knows who he is. Do you know who I am? I'm a son of the Most High God. How many of you know that about yourselves? That's who I am. You want to know who I am? I belong to Him. I'm His son. But if you read the last half of that verse, it says the whole world, here it says lies in wickedness. The NIV says the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. How much? How much of it? 
The whole world? Does that mean all of it? Does that sound like our God's in control or maybe somebody else is in control? Now see, here's what happened. Back in the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, chapter number 1, verse 28, God gave a commission to Adam. He said, I want you to be fruitful, I want you to multiply, I want you to replenish the earth, and I want you to take dominion, or I want you to rule over it. And when God said that, God made a self-limiting decision. How many of you believe God can limit Himself? He did. He limited Himself, and from that moment until today, the only way God can control this earth is to do it through you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're important to God. Now, do you believe that? Come on, say, God needs you. Do you believe that? God needs you. He can't do His work without us. He can't control this planet without us. Now hear me, since God is who God is, when God says something, it is settled forever. Do you believe that? Can, you, can God change? Move your head this way. God cannot change. He absolutely does not. Anybody remembering? In James chapter 1 verse 17, your Bible tells you that in Him there is no variableness, not even a shadow of turning. Do you remember that? Do you remember in Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 6, God makes this declaration, I'm the Lord and I don't change. Does He say that? Can't change. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, Today and forever. In Revelation 13 and 8, your Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth. Look at your neighbor and say, God's the same. He can't change. Now here's what he said. I have given you the authority to rule. Is that right? So God can't rule except through you. That's the way God designed it. So here's the next step. The devil was standing over to the side listening to God. When God told Adam and Eve, I'm going to make you rulers. Guess what the devil instantly knew? He knew that he couldn't rule except through you. Did you know the devil can't control this planet except through us? How many of you knew that? God can't control it except through you. The devil can't control it except through you. So from that instant, there has been a struggle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God's enemy to control this planet by controlling your flesh. You get the picture? Now here's the problem. The devil immediately developed a plan. That plan was to change things so that we would die spiritually. Because he knew that God would not allow us to rule if we were rebels. 
So he got us to rebel. God had said in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Did he say that? On that day you will die. And the day they ate, they died. They died spiritually in that instant. Do you remember that God came down and walked with them in the cool of the day like He used to do? And you know they couldn't see Him? You know why they couldn't see Him? Because God is a spirit. And they had died spiritually. They couldn't see into the spirit realm. You all made to blow your minds just a little bit? John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And He says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. It doesn't say you have to be born again to enter the kingdom. It says you have to be born again to see. That's because we died spiritually, and it takes a spiritual miracle of rebirth in order for us to become spiritually alive again. That's why Paul taught that you understand the things of the Spirit by the Spirit. Do you remember that? You don't do it any other way. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they didn't just die spiritually. They started in that instant dying physically. Do you know that from the moment you're born, you start dying physically? Now look at me. I have gray hair. Why do I have gray hair? I have gray hair because some of the cells that one time furnished color for my hair are dead. You get it? I started dying. I have wrinkles. I'm 70 years old. I'm in the process of dying. I started that the moment I was born. How many of you know that? Death came into the world. Now that's what God said would happen. And here's the struggle. The struggle between the two kingdoms became the struggle for our flesh. And the reason Jesus Christ came into this world was only for one purpose, and that was to destroy what the devil brought into Adam and Eve's race. Does anybody remember reading in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 8? For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. So here's what God assumes you know. He assumes that you know that another king rules this planet. And why did Jesus come? He came to forcibly take territory away from the devil and see it returned to the kingdom of our God. It's that simple. Does that make sense to you? That's why He came. There was no other reason. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Now some people say to me, but Dr. King, I thought Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost to whom? Is it not true that when someone comes to Jesus that He is transferred from the kingdom of darkness... And into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Is that true? Some people say, why, He came to heal the sick. Why did He come to heal the sick? Does anybody remember reading in Acts chapter 10 verse 38? Jesus was a man anointed by God who went about doing good and healing those who were 
King James says, who were oppressed of the devil. The NIV says, he healed those who were under the power of the devil. The Greek says, he healed those who were worn down by constant action of the devil. Now look at your neighbor and say this. Sickness is of the devil. How many of you believe that? It's not a gift of God. Sickness is not a blessing. Is that right? Sickness is from the devil. Now, I want to teach you something. Here's what it's all about. Put both hands out like this. When we heal the sick, what are we doing? We're building the kingdom of God. We're tearing down the kingdom of darkness. Did you know that in every detail of our lives, that's what we're doing. We're either building the kingdom of God, diminishing the kingdom of darkness, or we're building the kingdom of darkness and we're diminishing the kingdom of God. Now in Matthew chapter 3 verse 3 where Jesus or where John preached repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was saying Nobody on the earth really understands the kingdom of God at this moment. And I'm calling you to change all of that. What does repent mean? It meant that you've been called to bring into focus the kingdom of God and you can't do it like you are. You get that? The message of repentance says, get the chains off so that you have the ability to fulfill your purposes. Now let me show you how important that message is. John preached it and immediately Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness so that he could do combat with the devil. You remember that? Forty days and forty nights he battled the powers of darkness. At the end of that forty days and forty nights, Jesus came down off the mountain and he preached his first sermon. Do you know what Jesus' first sermon was? Matthew chapter 4, verse number 17. Repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means it's so close that you can almost reach out and touch it, but not quite yet. You can almost touch it, taste it, smell it, but not Yet, it's near, it's at hand. And then he began to demonstrate how the kingdom would work. Immediately after that, in the next verses, Jesus started bringing disciples to himself. Now may I give you a first kingdom principle here. You can't possibly bring the kingdom of God into focus without the process of making disciples. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, evangelism won't do it. What does it take? It takes making disciples. He called the disciples to himself. And immediately he started the process of pouring his life into his disciples. That's what discipling is. Discipling is not winning somebody to Jesus like the church has done it. Discipling is fashioning people into the image of Jesus. It's pouring your life into them. You get the picture? 
Now that's what Jesus started doing. And then when these guys went with him, after he'd started discipling them, then he began to manifest how the kingdom of God would be seen. Everywhere there was a physical manifestation of the other kingdom, he attacked it. He healed the sick. Why? Sickness is of the devil. What was he doing? He was attacking the ruling presence of the other king. And he was showing his disciples how to do it. Now he did that through the early part of his ministry. As a matter of fact, if you read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, that's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I call it God's minimum standard for kingdom living. That's where he gave us the framework on which our practical everyday lives were to be measured in the kingdom of God. And then he went along healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, casting out devils. Then you get to Matthew chapter number 10. And Jesus said in verse 7, he said, Now guys, it's time for me to send you out. I've poured enough of me into you for you to go out and start doing the same thing I've been doing. Get the picture? What's he done? Poured enough of himself into them for them to be able to go. And here's what he said, I want you to go, verse number 7 of Matthew 10, I want you to go and I want you to preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is where? Still close, right? You haven't gotten it yet. It's still close. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he said, I want you to do four things. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cleanse the lepers. I want you to raise the dead. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Why was he saying that? Because all of those things that he was dealing with are of the devil. Every one of them was to build the kingdom of God to tear down the kingdom of darkness. He said, freely you've received, freely give. And they went out and immediately for the first time in the history of the world, Ordinary men and ordinary people, fishermen, tax collectors, soldiers, were able to do the work of the kingdom of God. Healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, casting out devils. Now if you go to the very next chapter, chapter number 11 and verse 12. Well, in the previous verse, in verse number 11, he says, there's never been anybody born of woman that was greater than John the Baptist. You all remember he said that? You remember what he then said? But he who is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. How many of you all are in the kingdom? Come on, tell me. How many are in the kingdom? Look at your neighbor and say you're greater than John. Come on, come on. Why are you greater than John? Because John could only say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But he said what's happened to you now in the kingdom is from the days of John the Baptist until now. There's been a watershed. There's been a change. And now the kingdom of heaven is 
forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it and the kingdom message is now established. And never again is the Bi- would the Bible say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Are you hearing me? Never again would the Bible say the kingdom is at hand. As a matter of fact, if you go into the next chapter, chapter number 12 and verse number 28, Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom... What does it say? Does it say it will come? Does that say it's now? Never again will it come, it is now here. You see, Jesus is now a king. Now here's the problem that he had. Do you remember I told you that God made a self-limiting decision? Do you remember I told you that? What does that mean? That means there are some things that God can't do except in the way He chose to limit it. He absolutely cannot. Now, while Jesus was on the earth, everything He did was to attack the manifestation of the kingdom of darkness. Everything. Everything. He either did it directly or taught His disciples to do it. And then Jesus went to the cross. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Do you remember just before He died, He made an interesting statement? He said, It is finished. Do you all remember that? What does that mean? It means he did everything he came to do. And he did it well. Is there anybody who thinks Jesus did a sloppy job? Come on, really. Do you think he failed? Did he win or did he lose? Hanging on the cross, he said it's finished. What he said was, I've done everything I've come to do, and I'm not going to do anything else. I don't think you all heard me, did you? I've done all I came to do. Then he went back to heaven. Now, I'm going to suggest that you open your Bible and get your big pencil and mark this next portion of Scripture. It's pretty important. I want you to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. And I want you to look at verses 12 and 13. Speaking of Jesus, it says, This priest, when he had made one sacrifice, in this translation it says this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Now please look at your Bible and tell me what it says he did. Come on, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. How long does it say He's going to sit there? How long? Now, everybody look at me for a moment, because I want you to see what Jesus is doing right now. Y'all want to see what He's doing? So when everybody say he's sitting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. Come on, what's he doing? How long is he going to sit there? 
Okay, then the next question becomes, how in the world are his enemies going to become his footstool? Romans chapter 16, verse number 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Where? Where? Come on, now look at me. Under whose feet? Do you know how most churches will quote that? you know how most Christians will quote that? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. Doesn't say it, does it? He's going to put it, he's going to crush Satan where? Now, just so you can get it carefully and stuck in your mind, I want you to say this with me. I am a devil crusher. Come on, what are you? Now, I've got to tell you, that most high school cheerleaders have better theology than most of the church. <laughs> you go to a football game, and when there's a defensive posture, what do the cheerleaders say? Come on, everybody say, push them back, push them back, push them way back. Now, would you like to know what that means? That means that the devil is in control of this planet and he has deceived the church about what we're about. For 175 years now, the evangelical and charismatic communities have been trying to get off this planet while God's trying to get on it. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Now here's the problem with that. Our message has been a heaven message. Now will you believe me when I tell you that the devil lies most effectively when he tells the truth? Because when he tells you the truth, it is only a little bit of the truth designed to deceive you. Is that right? Now, just so you'll get it correctly and won't leave here misunderstanding anything, I want you to do me a favor, will you? Everybody say, Dr. King believes in heaven. heaven. Alright, now say, Dr. King's going to heaven. You see, don't leave here saying, Dr. King doesn't believe in heaven. I do. Get it? I believe in heaven. But heaven's not my goal. It's my destination. But the devil has said to us that we're to preach this message. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved and go to heaven. Now buckle your seatbelts. I've never met anybody in my entire life who wanted to go to heaven. Everybody says they do. And then avoid it as long as they can. Did you all hear about the evangelist in Texas who preached a sermon and said, I want everybody who wants to go to heaven to come to the front. And everybody came except one little boy. He said to him, son, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And he said, well, yes, sir. I thought you were getting up a load for today. I used to be a dispensationalist. and I believed Jesus was going to come just at any moment. I didn't understand he was sitting waiting. 
And I preached one of my famous sermons about the coming of the Lord. I had the people sitting on the edge of their seats, just waiting for the clouds to come, to open and for Jesus to come. Now at that time, my little daughter was 16 years old. She's now 49. So you can figure how long ago that's been. She's sitting there listening to me, and when the service was over, I'm standing back at the door. People are coming, shaking my hand. Oh, pastor, that was a great message. Jesus is about to come. I get in the car and start to leave. My little girl looks at me and says, Daddy, I don't want Jesus to come now. I said, why not, baby? She said, I want to know how it feels to be married and make love to my husband before Jesus comes. Now tell me how many of y'all believe she told me the truth. Come on, do you believe she told me the truth? Was there anything wrong with that? No, God made us that way, didn't He? So that our strongest drive is the drive to maintain life. One of the problems we've had in the church is we've become totally irrelevant to our kids. When you start preaching about heaven, you're talking to the kids about something they don't want to experience for a long time. That's why you have a lot of young people tell us in the church, I don't want to get saved. You get saved, you have to give up everything that life's about. You can't have any fun. When my wife was a young woman, the girl she ran around with used to have a saying. They said, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with the boys that do. We don't have no boyfriends. (laughs) Basically, what we've told our kids is to give up life. And to let us preachers control what they do with their lives. And they can't do anything that's fun. You all understand what I'm saying? So the church has been irrelevant. I've had kids tell me for years, I'm going to get saved before I die, but I want to have fun first. I'm curious. Has anybody beside me ever heard anything like that? I mean, kids don't want to give up what life's all about. That's because... We've preached that the purpose of the church is to get people ready for heaven. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is a purpose of destiny on this earth. And that's to remove the power of the curse from this earth and to set people free from the powers of darkness and to do it here and now. Now may I tell you what the word gospel means. The word gospel means good news. Now I'm going to tell you it's not good news to a 16-year-old or an 8-year-old to say, give me your life and be miserable until you're 80 and go to heaven. Come on, how many of you think that's not good news to a young person? Do you all agree with me? That's not good news. But here's what the word means. You're under the power of another king. He's come to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you. He's come to ruin your life, to make you poor, to take your health. But I come with the power and the authority of the King of Kings to set you free today. Do you hear what I'm saying? The message of the kingdom of God presumes that you know. That there's another king. Jesus told you his character. John chapter 10 verse 10. He said the thief comes only. Come on everybody say only. He comes only to steal. To kill. 
to destroy. I came so that you might have life. When are we supposed to have life? Go on, everybody say, now. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom is come, has come, is come, right here, right now, through me. The greatest deception the devil has brought to the church is the deception that says that the purpose of our salvation is to prepare for heaven. Are you all hearing me? You're not saved to go to heaven. Now say again, I get to go to heaven when I die. That's not the issue. I own a title deed to a place there, signed in the blood of the king. Y'all get it? So I believe in that. But I live with destiny. Not destiny for future. I've been called by God to change the balance of power from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Now, now can I ask you a question? When God made the heavens and the earth, did He fill it with resources? Is the earth full of resources? Then is poverty a gift of God or is it from the devil? Come on, really, is it a gift of God or is it from the devil? Is sickness a gift of God or is it from the devil? Is unhappiness in marriage a gift of God or is it from the devil? Is guilt from God or is it a tormenting spirit? Are y'all getting the picture of what I'm saying? God says, I want to change your life now. Now, so you can get the picture. He didn't send Jesus to do it. Come on, everybody say, Jesus can't do it. Come on, say it again. He can't do it. Except through me. Now hold your hands out. Look at those hands. What are those hands? They're anointed hands. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Really, do you believe that? Do you believe you've been called by God to lay those hands on the sick and see them healed? How many of you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe God intends to use the abilities that He's put in you and put within us corporately to eradicate the ravages of sickness and disease from our earth? Do you believe that? I was born angry. My, my grandfather was the angriest man I've ever known. My mother, though I'm a preacher's kid, my mother was an angry, mean woman. I grew up with a spirit of anger. I was a very successful pastor, but my people knew not to cross me or I'd step on them. My wife and my kids, they, knew, they didn't get in my chair. Y'all understand me? I wasn't always a pleasant human or be human being. Until the third day of August, 1983, 
when a whole army of demons was called out of this successful pastor. And God changed my life. And I learned how the enemy has invaded us through our bloodlines. How he's invaded us through the circumstances of our life until he's filled us with misery and unforgiveness. I learned how he's invaded our sexuality. Instead of feeling the joy that God intended that we be able to experience in masculinity and femininity, he's filled us with shame and guilt. And the very basic drives God's put in us as the devil's perverted it. I learned how the enemy has made sin seem to be attractive. And in every instance, what he's trying to do is to solidify his control over this planet. Are you all understanding what I'm saying? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. How long will He sit there? Come on, everybody say, till we get it right. Y'all got it? How long is He going to sit there? Then who controls when Jesus comes? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you control it. Come on, who controls? So what are we going to have to do? Now we're going to have to learn who we are. Is that right? We're going to have to learn why we exist. We're going to have to learn what salvation's about. Can I tell you again? Salvation's not to prepare you for heaven. You get to go there. Get it? What's it to prepare you to do? To take the sword of the Spirit of God and to march on hell until we set captives free. We get free ourselves. We break the bondage of the powers of darkness until the 11th chapter of the book of Isaiah is fulfilled and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. Hallelujah! That's what we're for. That's what God's called us to do. And that's what the message of the kingdom of God is about. Now, here's my question for you. How many of you guys are willing to bring your lives into conformity with what God says His kingdom is about? Really, are you? You remember in the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, what He taught us to pray? Your kingdom come. What does that mean? My theological background said it meant the millennium. It's ridiculous. Y'all understand me? Come on, hold out your hands. Through whose hands is the kingdom going to come? Come on, whose? I'm designed by God to stop allowing the devil to give us headaches. I'm designed by God to become the headache giver to the powers of darkness. Y'all believe it's time for us to make the devil sorry he ever knew our names? Really, do you think it's time for us to do that? I'm called to be a part of an army that changes the face of this earth until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever and ever. And He's chosen me to make that come to pass. Anybody else chosen out there? Come on, really, are you chosen? 
Well, what I want you to do is to allow the Lord to change your life today. Are you willing to do that? How many of you are willing to declare war against the devil? Now, I've got to warn you. When you declare war on him, he doesn't roll over and play dead. Come on, how many of you believe he doesn't roll over and play dead? As a matter of fact, I want to just tell you up front, the devil doesn't mind if you go to heaven. He wishes you would go now before you cause him a lot of trouble. I want to tell you the devil doesn't mind how many people you sign up to go to heaven. What he's worried about is the control of this planet. God gave it to us in the beginning. Now, can I blow your minds a little bit further as I close this message? Revelation chapter number 21 says this. I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. She was beautifully adorned like a bride for her husband. I saw her coming down out of heaven from God. Does anybody remember reading that? Come on, is that what it says? I saw her coming down from God out of heaven, prepared like a bride for her husband. What's the next verse say, dear? So a new heaven, a new earth, the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. Then he said, I heard a voice from heaven saying, now, the dwelling place of God is where? Where is it? has to be about the next verse after that one. Try the next one. Next one. Where is it? I heard the voice. Well, I'm going to have to pick up my Bible and read that one. I heard a voice from heaven saying, Now the dwelling place of God. Verse 3. The dwelling place of God is where? Where? Does it sound like we're going there or He's coming here? What does it sound like? In the beginning, did He tell Adam and Eve that, he was to, that they were to rule? Going to everybody say that's God's original intent. He had never changed His mind. What does He want us to do? You all said it. You're going to take dominion over northwest, southwest, which is it? northwest Oklahoma. Isn't that what you all said you're doing? Why? Because God wants you to rule northwest Oklahoma. How many of you believe that? Really? Do you believe that's what God wants? You really believe it? Now, when I rule, I want Him to give me some mountains. <laughs> I want some I want some slopes with sticks on my feet. <laughs> Y'all get the picture of what I'm saying? Did God give us this earth? The devil's tried to take it away from us, hasn't he? Y'all ready to take it back? Come on, really, are you really ready to take it back? Y'all ready to, ready to make the devil mad? Y'all ready to declare war against the devil? Take back what belongs to us? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I had to repent for trying to go to heaven and then avoiding as long as I could. If you want to go to heaven, why do you go to the doctor? (laughs) 
pastor and friend of mine in Colorado had an old gentleman and a lady in his church that had been married for over 60 years. Got on up in years and the little old lady died and went to heaven. Her husband said to the pastor one day, said, Pastor, I don't have anything to live for anymore. Said, all my friends have gone to heaven. I've outlived them. Said, my wife's in heaven and Jesus is in heaven. Everything that's important to me is in heaven. A few days after that, the old gentleman had a stroke. Pastor went to the hospital, took him by the hand to pray for him, and he said, would you like for me to just pray that God will open up the gates of heaven and let you come home? And the old man got mad at him. He wanted him to pray for healing. Y'all understand what I'm saying? God put something in us so that we want dominion over this earth. I'm tired of the devil taking what belongs to us. How many of you are tired of it? How many of you think it's time for us to take it back? Then come on up here and let's declare war today. Come on up here and join me. Pastor, come up and join me, will you please? Isn't this an interesting message? Isn't it fun to think about becoming what God designed us to be? Now you all know you're coming up here to join an army today. You're not coming up here to play games anymore. That's right. You all understand what you're doing? I'm going to lead you in a prayer of commitment in a moment that's going to change your life. You guys come on and press in the front here so others can get in. Pastor, I want you to look at your army here. Look at these people. See, this is what we find all over the world when people understand what God's designed us to do. We're tired of being beat up by the devil. How many of you all agree with me? We're tired of having the devil take away from us what belongs to us. The resources of this earth are ours. Word of God says He's given us the ability to get wealth so that His covenant can be confirmed in the earth. How many of you want to do that so His covenant will be confirmed in the earth? Come on, how many of you want to see God's kingdom confirmed? How many of you want to lay hands on the sick and see them recover? How many of you would like to raise two or three people from the dead? Come on, how many of you would like to do that? How many of you believe that might cause a little bit of excitement in Woodward, Oklahoma? Really, what do you think would happen when we start attacking the powers of darkness and expecting every day of our lives to be times when we are crushing the devil under our feet? Now, I want you to say, Father... In the name of Jesus, Jesus, I offer myself to you. I I dedicate myself to the purposes of your kingdom. kingdom. From this day forward, forward, I exist for your purposes, purposes, not for mine. mine. I give you my body, my my sexuality, my my resources. All possessions, all relationships, from this time forward, I exist to crush your enemy under my feet. In the name of Jesus. There's only one place that, that Jesus talked about the purpose of the church. Do you know where that is? It's in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. Upon this rock, I will build my church And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of an ancient city 
was where the ruling elders sat to administer the affairs of government. It's like saying we're going to march on the ruling places of hell's kingdom and we're going to change the boundaries. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Violent men lay hold of it. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. Get the picture? Through whom? Come on, through whom? I exist to see the kingdom of God manifest in power. I exist to crush the devil under my feet. I am a devil crusher. It is in my spiritual DNA. I can't even like myself until I do that. Come on, say it again. I can't even like myself because God put it in me. Come on, Going, how do you do it? You heal the sick. How many of you know some sick folks? You cast out devils. How many of you know how to cast out devils? If you don't know, how many are you willing to learn? You all understand what I'm saying? We heal the sick. A little Baptist church that I supervise in Africa grew from 3,000 until now. It's 193,000. I'm trying to get pastor to go with me and help preach to them. You know what? They've had people raised from the dead in children's church. Y'all hear me? In children's church. Does God love those Africans more than He loves us? Come on, hold out your hands. Say, Lord, I offer you these hands. I expect you to use them. I'm a kingdom person. Hallelujah! Now I want you to shout this. Devil! Watch out! Here we come. Here we come. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.